All right, hello everybody. Training without conflict podcast number 27, part two with Debbie Zapia. If you haven't checked out part one, number 26, make sure that you do that before you listen to this podcast so you can kind of catch uh, the thread that we were talking. We had to stop a little bit um, too soon. So we decided immediately that we need to continue talking. And um, here we are on part two. Debbie, nice to see you back again. It seems like we didn't miss much of a time, which is great. I'm glad to be back, Ivan. Thanks. I think really where we left it, and I'm sure we can go back and forth again to many topics, but where we really left it and we both of us kind of didn't want to stop right there was uh, starting to give the overview of American Schutzhund and, and basically all the the interesting things about where it's going and what's happening. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you really just pick up from there if you don't mind. Well, we started AS as more of a relevant breed suitability test for working dogs. That was our, our whole goal behind it. We already talked about, yeah, at least you and I did the last time about where the sport of IGP was going, um, our concerns about it, and then where AS as an organization was going. So that was really the basis for us developing AS. We wanted to continue to have stress in the test of Schutzen. We wanted to have stick hits. We wanted to pressure our dogs. We wanted to keep it a reliable test for working breeds. That's why we, we actually went to this. Um, with that in mind, because we wanted to be relevant, we changed tracking to article search and scent detection. So we've incorporated that into our program. For the first couple of years, we allowed tracking to be a part of this, grandfathered in, because we knew people that were coming in from IGP might want to do tracking. Mm -hmm. So now that time has passed, and now it's just the article search and scent detection. Um, so give me a little yeah. breakdown on how, what, what exactly... How, how the two come together and, and the points and the levels and everything. Within article search and de yeah. detection, starting yeah. there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So with article search and detection, we felt that we were going to have a little bit more of a relevant test because when we talk to police departments around the country, when we talk to people in the military, they were looking for tests that were going to be able to distinguish what dogs had hunt drive. Um, Tracking, at least to me, and I've been in the sport of IGP for a very long time, is mainly obedience. If you're a very good obedience trainer, you're going to be able to teach the sport of tracking. Um, it's not so much relying on the dog's ability to scent as it is teaching them, again, behaviors that they have to do around a track to get from point A to point B. With um, article search and scent detection, you are relying more on the instinctual behaviors of the dog. And then you're incorporating them into a sport that's going to test those things. So that's where we came in there. So the way we've set it up is we actually have the article search in, in the AS1. We have detection, the first part of detection in the AS2. And then we have a more advanced level of detection in the AS3. So what, what would they search and how big the area and terrain and, and all that? Yeah, for the AS1, the article search, it's a 40 by 40 field. Um, we have it set up, if you look at the book, where 
individuals, clubs can kind of mark off their field so that the dog knows the perimeter of the field. Um, and there's two articles. There's one article that's on the right and there's one article on the left. And if again, if you look into the rule book, it'll tell you the distance from the outer boundaries and the inner boundary where you have to walk that the articles have to be laid. But the dog has to search freely. It takes six, you have six minutes to complete the test. They have to be able to indicate the articles, hold an indication while you pick up that article. And then you have to be sending your dog again. And the judge is looking for the ability of your dog to take direction from you, as well as its hunting ability, its searching ability, um, how long it can withstand without losing direction and intensity. So all of those things are, are what we're looking at at that test level. I'm assuming is everybody in the trial using that same space or they are different 40 by 40s? No, everyone's using the same space. And before the first person goes, that whole area is trampled. Mm -hmm. So everybody that's there watching the particular, that particular trial is walking all over the field, trampling it down so that it's, it's more equal for each participant that's going. The articles, what, what are they kind of tips, some similar to IGP or, or you have different articles for that? Right now it's IGP articles. We felt that that was the easiest thing if somebody from IGP wanted to come over to our sport, that they would be able to do that quite easily. As we progress, our intention is to go to things like shell casings, um, things that are, are, are used more in real life situations. But right now we are using articles from IGP. If somebody is to get ready for that test, like what is the, what, how, how do they uh, uh, differ in, in the levels, like one, two, three? You have three levels of AS, right? Yes. So the first level is the article search. Mm -hmm. So that would be completely different from detection work. Mm -hmm. The first thing you're doing is an article search with your dog. We're looking at that, you're getting that score. The second level that you're doing is detection. And that is, uh, we're using right now a black powder. And there are, for the, for the actual one level, there's 30 blocks and the black powder is two, two fines, one in a block at one side and one in a block at the other side. So the judge can mix it up as long as they're not really close to each other. They could set them up in two straight lines, 15 and 15. They could do 10, 10, and 10. And the dog will start the search and finish the search. The handler, when the dog alerts on something, will call an alert. The dog has to maintain that alert for a few seconds. Then the handler can call them off of that alert and send them on to find the next one. When they find the second alert, then that will be the end and the, the um, handler will have to call clear and the timer stops, it's timed. And it's still, um, it's still in that 40 by 40 or it's a different setup? No, that's a different setup. Different so setup. that can be indoors or outdoors, mm -hmm. depending upon the weather. So if you had an indoor barn or a building, you could set yours up in there. You could set it up on a field. Um, the I don't even know exactly the perimeters. We set it up in a 40 by 40 building. And, and you're able, I mean, you should be able, right, to, to have the different levels to have where you have the 40 by 40 with the article search and then the detection work in the same trial, correct? Oh, yeah. It's, it's always, yes, in the same trial. Yeah. We're doing ones, twos, and threes already, all in the same trial. Mm -hmm. and, and so it just depends on what you have as area. Like, I have enough area that I can set each thing up separately. 
Yeah. But if you don't, then you could have one area that you set one up in and then another area you'd be setting up your detection in. You don't need a ton of space to set up detection, like a, a 40 by 40 area is a big enough area to set your detection up. Right. When it comes to the three level, you have your, the blocks are exchanged for, for luggage. So you have luggage that the dog is searching and then you have two vehicles that the dog is searching. And again, you don't need a tremendous amount of space um, it's much easier to accommodate than tracking. And the dogs are off-leash, on-leash, how is that? The dogs are on-leash for it. On we leash. actually toyed with letting them off-leash and then thought it would just be easier for judging criteria to have all of the dogs on-leash for the detection. Of course, off-leash for article search because the dog has to be able to search an area. And, and what about uh, the aging, the time after, like, the, the objects are laid or the, the powder. There really isn't much aging involved. So once the judge has directed where the articles are, they can call the handlers in and the handlers can then start the search with their dog. Detection, uh, we, we have different aging. I think it has to be over, I have to look myself. Sure. 30 minutes, I think. Um, and it can go up higher to two hours. So I think it's depending upon the judge, where it is, how the you know the trial is going, and how you're actually setting it up. Right. But you have a range of time that you can set it up for. Yeah, so that, that definitely will call for uh, a specific training for for this. Um, and, and how do you find, what do you feel so far now that you've had few trials and, and things have been going, how, how do you find it's working uh, with the with the articles and the detection part? How, how are people, do they struggle? Do they like it? How are the dogs, how, how is it going right now? I think all of that, all of the above. Yeah. I think that the handlers like it. They're enjoying doing it. Um, of course, it's a change for all of us. So that's a learning curve. Um, it, it isn't easy to switch over to that. So if I'm talking about myself with this, I was very accustomed to tracking. Tracking was in my wheelhouse, right? I was good in obedience, my dogs tracked. Because I was good in obedience, I could teach my dogs to track. And I was in control. When I changed over and had to do an article search, uh, I can't be as much in control. So that is a, much more based on the instinctual abilities of that dog, right? Each dog has, has different levels of hunt drive. You're, as a trainer, you're trying to expand those. If your dog doesn't have quite enough, if your dog is so crazy to hunt, of course, you're trying to pull that back in. But you don't have the level of control that you have on a track. Mm -hmm. So that was a very difficult thing for me who wants to be in control all the time. Um, it was fun. Once I started, it was fun. And because I have two little hunting dogs and have to do some of the same things with them, I started to get a better understanding and handle on it as I went. But that was a learning curve for me. Um, detection, at least at the detection two level, I think is is easier. Maybe it's because it's a, it's a little more controlled environment there mm -hmm. um, for the dogs. They seem to catch on to odor pretty quickly. Of course, then it's all the rest of it, right? How How you're approaching it, reading your dog, everything else that would be involved in, in any other sport that you would be doing with an animal. And then at the three level, it gets more difficult. The luggage is definitely more difficult than the blocks and the 
um, searching of the vehicles. So that, again, every time that you, you go a little bit higher, it gets a little more difficult. Um, but that, I think, was a little easier for me than the article search because there's a little more control there. Mm-hmm. Where the article search, I had to let go of some of the things that I was good at. Does that right. answer your question? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking as you're, as you're talking, I'm trying to, to picture everything. And uh, it, it really looks, um, I mean, a, a lot like, you know, combination between certain nose work trials and, and actual detection police work and, and the KMPV program, some, some element. And, uh, and, yes. and, and what I'm thinking is like I personally wouldn't see necessarily a problem, at least like for my dogs, the way I train tracking, that they will get confused. Like I, I really do believe that I w- would be able to do tracking and do American shoot school at the same time without mm-hmm. having a conflict just because it's a, the environment, the antecedents, they call for a specific things. And, you know, I, I, I would assume that the dog will have no problem with that. Just like if we go to a, you know, swimming pool, we, we know that we're going to be doing something in the water versus a basketball court. And, mm-hmm. and you know, right. so I, I, I really think this is actually um, different enough within the environment, within the antecedents that it shouldn't be a problem to, to create confusion in the dogs. But, you know, before we go further, I'm a little curious to hear a little bit more how uh, your take on the tracking, as you say, that you see it more of a obedience, more of a discipline program. Because uh, I do, I can kind of see a little bit how, how you might see it that way. But um, I would think you agree that when, um, when you see a dog that has that kind of training, that it's based on discipline and obedience, they can either make the 99 points or fail miserably simply because they're not taught to actually track, right? I'm not sure if I see it myself tracking as uh, strictly obedience, like the IGP tracking, of course, is more precise, so there is some rules of, you know, narrowing it down and making it as tight as possible versus search and rescue or, or police type tracking. That type of dog that is just doing obedience on the track is really not encouraged anymore in IGP. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious to, to kind of hear your take on, on how you s- see the, the tracking. And is it just every tracking or specifically the, the IGP tracking that you see more as an obedience exercise? Yes, it's the IGP tracking that I see more as obedience exercise. Not, certainly not. If you're doing hard surface tracking, that would not be the case. If you're doing police tracking, that would not be the case. But IGP tracking is you're, you're taking a dog and you're saying to that dog, do not use your natural instincts. Do not use your eyes. Do not lift your head. Do not go at the speed you want to go at. Keep your nose to the ground. Only use that. Move forward in the way I want you to move forward. 
When you get to a turn and let's say you've missed it, these are the steps you're going to take to find it. You're gonna be very accurate at that turn. I'm gonna give you the tools that you need to make that turn. When you make that turn, this is the way I want you to do it. Mm-hmm. And I want you to go to the next exercise. I am taking away all of your natural instincts. You are not allowed to use them and you are gonna do what I tell you to do, except for your nose. Mm-hmm. That's it. And that's why I look at it as obedience. If I can teach obedience, I can do that. If I can't teach obedience, I cannot do that efficiently. Not for high levels of tracking. And I'm going to say this, I can take a dog without hunt drive and I can score very high on a track. I cannot do the reverse. Even even when the tracking is not the uh you know, this kind of moonwalking, easy tracking with a nice lush grass or soft dirt or whatever. Absolutely. That yeah. I, 100%. Yeah, I mean, we probably, not probably, we, we would disagree to some level on that mm-hmm. piece here, which is totally cool. Um, I, I see it as um, like all of the things that you're saying, that there is a certainly a, a artificial component into IGP tracking. It becomes because of the the points it, it, and how it's judged, you know, we know it, it has to become to some level very, uh, um, the precision comes to become kind of artificial, but at any time, the tracks become a little bit difficult. That's when you see the dogs that are trained through obedience and the dogs that actually understand tracking because... Um, I, I know many dogs in, in my career that track, that they understand tracking and they can track better than police dogs, better than, than many dogs, uh, because of the proper training for IGP. Um, but yeah, I mean... That's well, maybe we're talking semantics. Mm. Because I would certainly agree with that a dog that actually understands to track with its nose down is is going to be good and is going to figure some things out. But when you're talking about that high level, so I'm not talking about the crossover that you would have, right? Because if I took my IGP dog that had learned to do footstep to footstep tracking and I put it on hard surface, and did certain things to help that dog. That dog is gonna be better than a dog that didn't have IGP track. Mm-hmm. But with IGP, the way it is today, with the precision that we need, that comes through obedience to the track. You must have obedience to that track and you must do it exactly how we want them to do it. Right, right. Yeah, to the point that you can really take away the, the actual tracking out of the work, um, but but that's a to me that's a training problem. That's not necessarily all, all IGP tracking. Though that's all I was trying to say. No, um, no, no, I would agree with you there. That's yeah. not all IGP <clears throat> tracking dogs, but I think that that is the fundamental basis of an IGP track to score high at these events. Is that the better you can call it obedience, you can call it training, you can call it whatever it is that you want to call it, but the better that you are at that, 
the better that dog is going to be. Right. To get from point A to the end of that track. Right. And and so so what I was trying to say is like when the track gets difficult, now you need the dog to to know that they can open up and use more of their senses and do whatever they need to do to make it happen. And some dogs that are trained for those high points, but totally by, by discipline, they don't have that courage to actually open up and do other kind of tracking. So to me, that's a more of a, just, just a, a, a way of training, just like anything else, probably. Um, but yeah, that will be interesting for everybody to chip in when, when this is done. But here would be what I would argue with that, is if I am going to an event that requires my dog to think on its own and to do things on its own, that's a different kind of event than an IGP3 track. Now, if you're going to an FH championship and your dog has to do numerous tracks over different types of variable surfaces, that may come into play. But that's not the way I would train my dog for an IGP track. The way I would train my dog for an IGP track would be if it gets difficult, these are the tools I'm giving you to use. If it gets hard, these are the tools I'm giving you to use and I'm going to give you how to use them. And then that's then up to the dog and the trainer to make sure that that dog knows that and is able to do that in turn. My dog is not out there on an IGP track saying, let me use my own devices here. That is not, the, that's, I mean, you might train differently, somebody else might, but the way I look at tracking is that has, that's how I look at tracking. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. you are going to follow my instructions on an IGP track. This is not the time for you to do a lot of researching and figure this out on your own because occasionally, I can't even say that really. Maybe a long time ago, I might've hit a track that would require that. But normally speaking, in IGP, the tracks are such that an obedience trained dog can do it. But if you're talking about going to the other steps, that's that's then a different thing. Yeah, I think I think we're really just talking about it. It, I mean, it, it might be that the style of tracking, the style of IGP tracking that you're talking about is uh, uh, more popular because it's, and this is why typically the tracking grounds are fairly easy that they kind of uh, um, entice that type of tracking so you can make the 96 and 7 and 100 points. But but where it gets really beautiful when everybody starts to freak out is when the tracking gets complicated and the person doesn't see the footsteps. There was pretty good rain. There was, you know, the grass is not that friendly um, or the ground is frozen and, and so on. I mean, you've been, you've tracked a lot. So, um, and, and, and for these dogs, 
Um, they, they, are, they are definitely HP dogs that are trained to understand their task and find a way to make it happen and not uh, uh, fall apart because they are afraid to step out of the boundaries that they have by the trainer, right? Right, but those, I guess where I would disagree is that training obedience does not mean you can't step out of boundaries. Training obedience means what do you do when you step out of those boundaries? Training obedience means when my dog in, encounters that, where it's very, very difficult. Right. What are the tools that you have, dog, here that can get you back on track and give you those points that I need? It's a very interesting conversation we got ourselves into. Mm-hmm. I it think it's also very important <laughs> to to not neglect and actually really take under super serious consideration the genetic Mm-hmm. desire of the some dogs how they use their nose to track um, like my young dog right now he's two years old he is not like you know how I talk about tracking like I, I see them as two types of dogs the one are on the track and the other ones are in the track with like their whole being is inside the truck and this is not done by this cannot at least i don't think i can do that through training and and um so like with my two-year-old dog he has very limited tracking experience like he probably has let's say 100 trucks which is ridiculous for two-year-old dog and it's just because i haven't had time and because he's such a natural to track to where uh, um, I, I literally can kind of push him off the track and he's just like, you can't push me off the track. And, and the whole body language of what the brain is doing is just amazing to watch. And, and yeah, anyway, I think um, um, training can go that far, just like with protection. Some dogs will say, I'm done. I'm good. I cannot go on further. Um, with tracking, is the same, but with the easy tracking, we can force them to. Well, you have no choice. You have to track, but um, um, and you can do it intelligently enough to where eventually you, you allow the dog and you you build confidence and the dog really truly enjoys it again. But but it's not a natural tracking dog. Just like not every dog can, uh, um, again, do protection. It just doesn't have the courage. Not every dog. They all use their noses. But there is dogs that... It's kind of like uh, what comes to mind, uh, and I, I know I'm going to butcher that one, but uh, there was uh, Mike Tyson's, the boxer, uh, his coach... He said at one point something very cool about how Mike Tyson basically he he had everything he just needed a direction and a, and a, and a guidance you know uh, he didn't like it wasn't that he he could take any credit for who Mike Tyson was and I think with training is similar like that 
but yeah, it's an interesting, interesting take on on that. That's I think what is also very cool about dog sports because we all have a little different takes on things and how we see it. I think we've all no. I mean, I think we all know what you're talking about with. You see the dogs that really are in the track all the way, want to track. That's what they love to do. But I don't, I don't see a huge correlation between tracking dogs per se and hunt drive. I've seen great tracking dogs that have very little hunt drive. I don't know if I could say the other way around yet. But I've seen really great tracking dogs that have little hunt drive. They're two different things things right i mean again that's the, it's the, the the example you know with the kyorong and german shepherd gets its rating just because mm-hmm. it has to get its rating it doesn't mean that it stays on the sleeve that actually has anything to do with protection drive and confidence and dominant behavior and so on and so on right they are just made to show a picture that is satisfactory to move on from there on. Mm-hmm. And, and there is that kind of tracking and that type of dog of tracking. Um, so when you have a, <coughs> like when you, how, how many judges is a one judge for this as, as well? Or, or, or do you have multiple judges for this, for the detection? No, it's, one judge. it's one judge. One judge for a trial. Mm-hmm. And what would be the disqualifications uh, time limit. What about the forty by forty? Is it fence? If the dog gets out, does it matter or how? If the judge, well, the the dog, excuse me, not the judge. The the dog can come out of that area as long as when the handler calls it right back in, it comes in. Mm-hmm. That would be the ability to give direction to your dog. Mm-hmm. So yes, it can go out of the area. That's not disqualifying as long as it comes back in. What is disqualifying if the dog was to urinate? Um, on the field that disqualifies them um the same thing when they're they're cert- when they're going into detection if they stop them or to do something like that they would be disqualified the other thing of course that you can oh, naturally you can fail if you go onto the field and you don't find your articles you're not going to pass what about the the overall demeanor of the dog like suppression stress how how does that play it, it, can it play strong enough role to where a dog can get decued because of uh, uh, extreme discomfort? Yes, yeah. So uh, again, a judge is, is looking at the and and you can read the whole you know the whole scorebook, but a judge is looking at the drive that the dog has out there, its endurance level while it's out there, its intensity in the search, its concentration in the area. Um, a dog that doesn't have those things in an article search is not going to find the article, in, the two articles in six minutes anyway. But you're, you're being scored on that as well, or your, your dog is being scored on that. So the more intense the dog is, the more quickly it goes to odor um, and to source, that's going to be the dog that is scoring the highest. Right. Um, and in detection, it's, it's similar. And, and that kind of tells me that, uh, um, you know, the tail being up and aroused or low or the mouth is open or not, these are irrelevant factors, correct? That's irrelevant for that kind of, of work, yes. 
but you're looking for intensity. Correct. I mean, yeah. Rush. You're looking for overall intensity. The tail doesn't have to be up and be wagging while it's out there working. No. Which is something that the IGP they got themselves in a pickle with what what is stress and what is actually what is stress putting on yourself trying to do the best you can uh yeah. you know just like two, two, two chess players you know one one's gonna pace around and the other one is just staring at the board not not even blinking and they're both in the same mindset they just have to do different things to be in that mindset and and so uh, igp became a little bit it's a little bit of a problem we in all three phases with trying to almost guess how the dog feels instead of by by the tail and the ears and the you know and and almost overlooking how the dog actually works and and right. the, the ethics of the work you you have to i think distinguish what is the task what is the goal here so let's do the obedience because i'm I, i i shouldn't say that i i like dog training but obedience is a part of training that is very interesting for me always how is um how are the three levels compared to to igp right now how are they they i'm assuming they're more probably that would be the most similar to igp routines or yes, no it's going to be the most similar there's differences um so at the at the one level we For instance, right now we don't have a jump. We are going to be putting a jump back into the one level. And our reasoning in the beginning was to get dogs again that were going in this. And if they felt they were coming over and not ready to jump, but ready to do everything else, that they would be able to do that. But the jump is going back in at the one level at the next year, one year from now, mm-hmm. so that there'll be a jump again. Um, but with that in mind, We're also putting more emphasis on things like the sit out of motion because, you know, in IGP, the sit has gone to five points. Yeah. We're still at, so it's 15 right now at the one level. It'll go to 10. So, again, we, we have more points in that core exercise. Instead of looking at everything that's around it and making it just worth five points, it's a 10-point exercise there. Um, we have an honor down in the BT and in the one. When we get to the two and three, there is no more on or down. So basically, you're coming out onto the field at the two level and the three level on your own with, like without that. another pair. Yeah, it makes I sense. I, I mean, at some point, it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I love the, the reversal of that points of the seed out of motion. I, I personally, I mean, obviously, you, you believe in it as well since you've reversed in it. It's a for sure one of the very interesting exercises because um like i had that conversation with um harry archon uh who is uh, in the utility commission and so fci judge and so on and i was trying to find out how how it even came about to to take those points out and they were looking for points i'm guessing to put more points in the healing part but taking them from the sit out of motion I think it was a big mistake because how a dog unsnaps from healing and how it can or cannot even at all complete the sit out of motion it shows 
where the dog mind is and how quickly can switch, which is unbelievably important for obedience. And it cannot compare to a down or a, or, or a stand because it's asking very different behavior. That's nobody even, I don't think anybody, when they came up with that sit-down emotion, anybody understood how intelligent that it's a serious problem that needs mm -hmm. to be taken care of. And if you think back to a number of years ago, before they put it to five points, um, that was the determining factor yeah. in a lot of big trials. That was the exercise that separated the winner from the next person in line, was that sit-down emotion. And so what did they do along the same lines that they're doing other things? They've taken the points away from that and put it somewhere else. And you have still the the dumbbells are similar, like the one, two, three, or, or something else you're using for retrieve? No, the, the dumbbells are similar. We put more emphasis, once once you get to jumping, right? Not the retrieve on flat, but now you're the retrieve over the high jump, retrieve over the wall. We have more emphasis in the actual jump. So it's not just the retrieve, but it's the jump. There, There's a jump for a reason, Correct. right? And so today you're seeing so many dogs stutter step that jump. They can't jump. They yeah. get the jump. Yeah. There's a reason for that. As we spoke about at the last podcast, German Shepherd dogs' backs, at least, are trashed, right? There is a big problem with them. So we're not going, I believe, I could be mistaken, but I believe IGP will either lower the jump or there'll be something soft on top soon. Because that's the next thing that's going to go, right? right? So we believe very strongly that a dog has to jump. The technique that the dog uses, the way he jumps is judged. So if he is not flying over that jump and he's stutter stepping to go one way and stutter stepping the other way and hitting it with his legs drooping down, he's going to be pointed yeah. or she's going to be pointed. So we have more points in that. Same thing on the scaling wall. We want to see power over the scaling wall coming down grabbing that dumbbell, turning power back over the wall, much more than if the dog is sitting a little crooked in front or those are not big things that we're going to be looking at. Right. Um, we're going to be looking up at the core exercise rather than all of the things that surround the core exercises. Yes, because, so, because that's, you that's, can like, I mean, it's a super good point. Like right now you can have a dog that has a beautiful basic position, stable on the command the retrieve is great the front everything is great but touches both ways the jump and it's not touching it's it's struggling with the jump mm -hmm. and a dog that has a a little bit crooked front a little bit chewing on the dumbbell can actually lose more points mm -hmm. today than the dog that cannot jump and and this is that leads to a huge problem of of what are we breeding, where are we going with this? That's I think this is why uh, uh, Marinoas, as long as we have the ring sports, as long as they need to jump this one twenty and four point five and two meters thirty wall, as long as this stays in the program. It's impossible to change a structure the way a Malina look. They, they cannot look any different if they have to make those jumps. 
so I love how I mean I I so far really like uh, all, all the 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 little things that you are paying attention to that are important that somehow I mean those are a lot of the reasons why probably American shoots gun comes in place we haven't even gotten to protection yet what about the healing how how is the healing compared to to the IGP right now any any different as far as the criteria or the basic criteria is still the same but i think again we're looking at what are we judging we want to have a dog that is intense in its healing we want to have a dog that is in harmony with its partner um, those are the things that are looked at what kind of picture are they presenting together in in healing um, you know it's kind of the same thing that we just talked about with a little crooked front or a crooked finish or in an exercise that is supposed to be a retrieve that we're looking at or a jump that we're looking at or a send out that we're looking at then those are the core exercises that we should be looking at and then everything else kind of surrounds that and certainly plays a part in it but in healing i think that's the the one time that you are looking really for the harmony between the handler and the dog. And it doesn't have to be a certain style of healing. We're not looking for style points. I like it. Yeah, this is a this is another big issue with with IGP. There is always the the flavor of the day. It's like all of a sudden everybody it's like oh this is the coolest thing and you you almost forget what actually is required for you to show. And, mm-hmm. and people end sure. up training something that should be irrelevant. Becomes all relevant, yes. And you, I'm assuming you still have the gunshots, of course, right? Mm-hmm. What about uh, like the BH? Does that, do you have something like the prerequisite towards the, or, or no? Yes. So our BT is quite involved. Um, we really put a lot of emphasis in our BT. First, I mean, there's the obedience portion of the BT, which is the healing, the sit out of motion, the down out of motion, um, the recall, and the gunshot that, that, that's there. That's the, about the same. But there's a whole environmental test that's done before So that. you, you brought back the gunshot already, back to it. Yes. It's we important. Very good. And then in addition to that, we have an environmental test that's set up. And so we give a general framework for the environmental test, what has to be tested, right? But then we allow the clubs some autonomy in designing their course for that. And then the judge kind of checks that out when the judge comes in. But we test a number of things. So one thing that's tested is footing slippery surfaces. So we put the dog on some kind of slippery surface. We see how the dog goes across it, and the judge is not only to look at just the dog going across it, but how does the dog go across it? And the dog doesn't get to just go across it once, because sometimes if you just bring a dog across something once, they're like, they don't even notice. No, they have to go across it several times. And the judge is going to watch how that dog proceeds across that slippery surface. We're going to have, um, what are the actual calls? The movement in tight spaces. So. Again, we're going to devise an area that is very, very tight for the dog. This last trial of ours, we actually put um, 
open screening, like wire fences that you could see through, mm-hmm. but very, very low. So the dog had to crawl through it. And then at the end, it was closed off. So the dog had to turn around and crawl back out. So in the past, we've done dark spaces that were, you know, that the dog had to go into. This time we said, okay, we're not going to do dark, but we're going to do so low that the dog's got to, you as a handler can go to the other end. You can call your dog, but the dog's got to be able to go into that, climb through it, turn around and come back out. And for the, um, again, another footing one that we did this time was we had, um, we bought stairs from Home Depot and we put them into a rubble pile. So the dog had to climb these stairs and then jump into the rubble pile and then come out and climb back down the stairs. So that was another test that that we used. And then we have a hunt drive test. So we've done it a number of different ways in our own club. We've had it where we've hidden up, we've shown the dog a toy. We've hidden it up in an area. We've turned the dog around, given it 30 seconds, turned the dog back around and let it go hunt into that area. We've done it where the last couple of times where we've actually put it over a hill. So the dog sees the person that's holding the object go up the hill and place the object. Then the dog is brought into a blind. The person picks up the the object that was put out there, puts it in their pocket and leaves. Then the handler and dog comes out and they send the dog and we time it. Two to three minutes, depending on, we did three, we thought it was too long, so after that we did two minutes. And the dog has to hunt, the highest score will be awarded to the dog that intensely hunts for those two minutes. Now they're not going to find anything. So at the end, we call the person with the ball back out and they throw it up there. Um, But we're timing it, we're looking at the intensity of the dog, is the dog staying on task? Does the dog come back out and have to be sent back up? Does the dog come out and leave? Does the dog come out and just sit there and look at the handler? So I'm curious, like uh, you, you saw me smiling a few times as you were describing this because you took me way back, like in my early training days when I was still in Bulgaria under the communism and, and the, the kind of at the time very hardcore Russian military style of training. And, you know, those, those were things that were very important and somehow they, they got lost over time everywhere and I'm curious how how did you where did you grab these pieces from how did all, how did you guys put that together because it's a that's a already very selective like you you already from there on you know that certain dogs will not cut it mm-hmm. how right. how did you come up with it well we we, we narrowed it down we had fir- we looked at things that we wanted dogs to exhibit. If we were looking for our own dogs that were one year old or what what we want them to have, two years old without being influenced by training. And then we started looking at tests all around that are given all around the world for police and military. What are they testing for? What are they looking at? What yeah. do they want? And so we started to narrow it down until we came up with these. Um, and then we said, okay, because we started out too big. So we, we now have our six categories that we test for. And we devise the test around those six categories. Um, the last of which is suspicion and recovery. So again, clubs can devise it the way they want to devise it, but 
we want to test a dog's suspicion level, and then more importantly, we want to test its ability to recover from that suspicion. It's brilliant. So it's brilliant. It in- and, and what happens ultimately because of that, if I am in the search and rescue type of training or police canine or military, and I am to choose dog selected from different sport programs, you got my attention. Like you definitely got my attention. Like I I would for sure pay way more attention of the dogs that have gone through American shoots when it comes down to the, the, you know, not, not gambling as much and having a better chance to select the right puppy that's gonna go into search and rescue or police or military specifically because of selection um, that doesn't, in, in IGP you can have a champion and it's not a dog to be bred. It's a, it's a sad story, but it's a true story. And so to fail the BT, what would be like the big nose? So you're never going to fail the environmental portions. We have a we have a scorebook. Okay. And in that scorebook, those environmental tests are rated. So there's it's it's like there's three categories for that. There's you know your, your sufficient category, your middle of the road category, and your excellent category. So your dog is going to be in one of those categories, and it's going to be recorded in your book. And then the judge also has the room to write something down if they choose to write something down. So now if you're a breeder, and let's say you want to breed, but, but your dog needs more hunt drive, let's just say that, then you could call on this book. You could actually get a copy of the book and, and that particular yeah. page and look at what that dog received for hunt drive. Was it, in fact, the highest rating? Because maybe that's what you're looking for. So it's, again, it's a breed test. So we're adding that into our breed test those categories so that breeders can look back at it but that's not going to fail you you can still go on so you okay. go on you do your as long as you have your obedience you can go on to an as1 but all of these things are are recorded and anybody can look at your book your scorebook and know what you scored on the environmental tests the other one is, um is the movement excuse me is standing on unstable surfaces so we always have an unstable surface of some sort and the dog has to jump up. Again, the judge, judge is watching. Does, do they jump up and off? Do they actually jump up and stay there? Can you move it? Another test. Those are the six areas. But even if you, even if you did terrible on those, you could still go on and do your obedience phase. Even if, if the dog shuts down on the gunshot or, or it, no, ref, that's it, refuses, it refuses to... So the two things that the dog would be dismissed and not not be able to go on. Gunshots, they have to be able to do the gunshots and dog aggression. We do a separate dog aggression test. Okay. And if the dog was deemed to be severely dog aggressive, they would not be able to go on. That would be for life. Okay. So those two things eliminate you. The others are all recorded. Yeah, yeah. They don't yeah. eliminate you from going on to your obedience. 
clearly if your dog can't do those things and failed each one of those things or had the lowest score, you'd probably never title anyway. You're not going to title. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, very true. Then then that that should give you enough indication to that right. you're not going to have a surprise when you go to level one eventually. Right. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And and as far as the points, are they still from zero to hundred, or and the ratings are they similar somewhat to to how rated in IGP, or do you yes. still have like satisfactory and good and very good? Similar, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Let's let's break down the protection. I'm sure everybody wants to hear that. The, <laughs> it's all about the protection for most people. Um, so with protection again. As I stated before, we believe that Schutzen is a test that is not a viable test if you don't stress your dog. Um, There has to be stressors, the dog has to overcome it, the dog has to be able to rise to the occasion. So in the Schutzen one level, for protection, we start with two blinds in the blind search, not one but two. The dog has to come around the the blind and guard. Here are things that we don't accept, that we've seen accepted in other areas. Mm -hmm. So if the dog were to come around the blind and circle the blind and circle the blind and run back to the handler, the handler could send them again. But if that dog were to come back again and then run into the crowd and then still not go into guard, the dog would be done. Okay. Okay. Now, if it's a young dog and there's a crowd of people around and it runs to the crowd first and turns and sees the helper and goes in and guards, that's fine. But if the dog cannot go to a blind at all or takes so much to get it there, the dog is finished. Once you're there and your your dog is guarding and we're looking at the same things that IGP should be looking at, I should say at least. Okay. We want strong guarding. We want to see drive changes. We want to see the strength of the animal in the guarding phase. The handler has three choices to take their dog out. They can do what we used to do years ago, which is walk in, grab their dog by the collar, pull their dog out, the helper leaves the blind, and they can go back into the blind with their dog. They can choose door number two, which is go up, sit your dog, heal your dog out, ask the helper to remove themselves. Or you can do a call out. You can choose which way you want to leave the blind. And that's just for the lower level, or it can it, it's valid? Up no, to that's level. just for the system one. Okay, okay. System one, you can go out any way you want. Okay. Okay. It's, it's that, almost crazy in my head, like it's been so like suppressed that even when we say that's shoots one one, and, and it's hard for me to even think that we are talking about present time. I'm like taken back like, 20 years or 30 years ago, you know, like it's just so cool to hear the, even the, the words again. So we kind of went back to that. Um, then we added in a whole nother level though of obedience from there. So once the dog, I don't care if you pull the dog back in, once the helper has been called out of the blind, he's behind that first blind and the judge directs him to a blind. And you will know as the handler beforehand where you're heading because there are cones set up, there's a line set up, you will know exactly what your job is. You come out of the blind and now you're healing. So now once you've left the blind, you can't touch your dog anymore. 
You can have a leash on or a leash off. You choose. You're going to heal. You heal towards the center line. You make your turn on the center line somewhere, wherever the judge has directed it to be. And you heal down the field until you see the cones. At the point of the cones, you turn and you stop. And if you have a leash on, you take it off. If you don't have a leash on, you just stop. And then the judge is going to direct you to start to heal again till you're about 30 feet from the blind, at which point the judge will call the helper out of the blind for the attack. The helper will attack. The attack um, out of the blind is back. It's an attack on handler and he's coming. So it's not a sideways attack, it's a head-on attack. And the dog has to commit to that attack, fight, be driven, out, guard, and then heal down the field for a real long bite. Do you have that also in the higher level, or that's level one only, how it used that's, to be? That's level one only. Okay, very so cool. So that's, that's level one. So at that point, at level one, the help. I mean, so far, you're really bringing all the points, all the elements that got removed for whatever reason that definitely changed what the program was. Agreed. I like it. And on the, the long bite, the courage test, you have the, the decoy run away and then turn and come at the dog? Or, or how? One, no. No. The shoots in one, no. The okay. shoots in one, the helper's going to go to the central line of the field and be coming directly towards the dog and handler. At, but it is a long bite. It is not a short bite. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. a long bite. So the dog will have to grip, guard, show a transition stage for the highest points, um, and do a side transport to the judge there. That is the one. The two... Do we have any there, stick hits already or no? Oh, yeah. There's stick hits. Okay. There's two hits, stick hits after okay. the attack out of the blind. Yeah. So you already could pronounce courage and, and so on to where where IGP is going and I know many people will hate me for saying this but but we have reached a point now that we probably should not talking about courage pronounced or 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 not pronounced because we are not really in IGP we're starting to not be able to evaluate it this is a wild guess at, at some point we do have courage, hardness, and fighting instinct. We have CHF. Um, we have a rating. So the dog will be rated in that, and that will be in your scorebook. And so level two gets? Level two is very similar to level two in IGP. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest difference that I can tell you is that on an escape bite, the helper is not allowed to hang its sleeve out, the sleeve out to the side for a bite. So the helper is to have that sleeve tucked and be moving it forward and back as it takes as he takes off running. So it's not going to be hang the sleeve out to the side, giving the dog a target to bite. Um, mm. That's a difference. The, the back transport is going to be a real back transport bite. So the dog will be following. The helper must pivot and turn and come directly at the dog. They are not allowed to turn, sidestep, go to the side, um, stand still, they need to turn and be moving directly at the dog. That would be the, I think, the two biggest differences with 
IgP2 and AS2. Um, the rest remains pretty much the same. Okay. And then for the three level, you have a call off and you have a long bite. So you're going to have a coin flip before protection starts. And that will determine whether you have your call off first or your long bite first. But they will be back to back. They will be back to back. So okay. what will happen is um, the blind search occurs. The dog runs the blinds, comes in and guards the last blind. Again, we really try to emphasize guarding. I mean, that's another thing that I've seen yeah. deteriorate tremendously, right? We don't see drive changes anymore. Um, we, if we see silent guards, the dog is looking all around. Even in active guards, the dog is often looking around. Um, so we really put a lot of emphasis on the guarding phase. So the dog has to come in and guard. The call off occurs. You come out, you do your escape bite, same deal. The, the helper is not allowed to hang the sleeve off to the side for the for a target for the dog. Um, the next part is the same where there's a, there's the bite, there's an out, there's a reattack, there's a drive, and now there's the back transport. Again, the same as at the back transport. Yeah. The helper must turn and attack the dog. Now, once you're going down the field, the helper goes into blind four. So you're at the end of the field and you're getting ready for your either long bite or your call off, right? So let's say you have the long bite first. So the helper is going to come out of blind four to the center line, threaten your dog, turn and run down the field. There'll be a stake down at the end of the field. You will see it. When that helper reaches that stake, they will start to turn. It is your responsibility as a handler to send your dog before that helper has made a complete turn and is heading towards you. So you're sending your dog while the helper's back is still at you, just starting to pivot. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. So you're sending that dog while that helper is running. Now, for, helper for those that listen that are not familiar with the old Schutzhund program, that, that used to be how it was done, really. It was how it was done. So now the helper has turned and is coming at your dog. And again, the helper is to threaten your dog. So just before the bite, the helper raises his stick, threatens the dog, and then presents the, the sleeve and the bite. So there is a direct threat there to the dog. The dog bites, same thing, drive, hits, um, outs, guarding, reattack, drive, hits, out, guarding, the reattack occurs. Now. The handler has to come all the way down the field, pick up their dog, present to the judge, turn around and heal all the way back. I'm sorry, not present to the judge. P yes, pick up the dog, go to the judge. I'm sorry. And then head all the way back down the field again because they've got to set up again. Yep. So now they're going to come back down the field, set up again, and we're going to have a, a redo. So now the helper goes back into the blind, comes back out again, threatens, goes down the field, the handler has to send their dog again while the, the helper's running away, and then the judge will signal when you do the callback, which will be at about blind three, depending on the size of the field, right? So once that dog hits blind three, your the judge's hand will go up, and you will have to call your dog back. If your dog goes down the field and bites, you're done. If the dog goes down the field and doesn't bite, 
and comes back. Even done, though it didn't done come back. meaning the exercise fails or the whole protection routine fails? The whole protection routine okay. fails. Okay, so that would be different than the ring sports. But if your dog stops, doesn't engage, comes back, you're going to pass, you're just going to lose points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's say you call your dog and it doesn't come directly back. Okay, you're going to lose a little points. If your dog comes but doesn't come to heal, that's all pointed exercise, right? Sure, sure. The judge is looking at that and pointing it. But your dog cannot bite um, at the end of the field. And do you have uh, on the escape, like in, again, like I just going back and forth from ring sports comparing because uh, it's it's actually not complicated exercise when, when you it's really not. I know people that are listening to us are freaking out that it becomes very complicated, but it's actually, uh, um, you know, it, when the dog has clarity and the training is right, they, they actually, I feel that in some ways like that gambling of like, oh, last moment, and it's not. But do you have the anything to do with the, point deductions or or max points as far as how close or how far you call the dog off? You have to call the dog off. Just, I say at blind three. So the judge is going to be standing just before blind three across the field. And that's going to be your call off point. So what you say about 30, 20 feet or so or, or, or closer than that? I am bad at distance. I'm going to say blind distance. So 30 feet. Okay, okay. Because the dog in, has okay. left you by 30 feet or so. Okay. And now the helper is already coming back up the field. Okay. I think that's the difference with ring sport and sleeve sport is that with the way that we do it and the way that the helper is coming back, there's by the time that dog is traveling down the field, there's not a lot of distance between the dog and the helper when, they, when this all happens. And the helper just has a sleeve on. Yeah. So... Yeah, there is some safety. You try to set it up to be safe, yet a big test. So as you said, if if you haven't done this, so many people think, oh, it's going to be so difficult. And it it is difficult if you have a Schutzen 3 dog, an IGP 3 dog that has never been called back. And it's seven years old. And it's for seven years gone down the field. Gosh, you're going to make me try with my old dog now. (laughs) I actually will try it. But other than that, it isn't. And we, you can right. use a whistle. I mean, we've, oh, yeah. we've built that in. You can use your whistle for your callback if you Beautiful. want, instead of just the name of the dog. Okay. So you can you can do that. That, that but, even makes it simpler, easier. Yeah. Not, yeah. So I, I, I know I know people are watching this and thinking exactly what you're saying. Right. This is crazy. But our way of thinking about it was the same. In today's society, the reality is, if you send your dog, you need to be able to call that dog back. So Boom. that's what we're going on. That's what we've devised as a test for this. We're trying to make it more difficult, raise the training, and raise the breed standards for our dogs and trying to roll that into one. That's our goal. Yeah, I mean, you, you're really going to have like... Uh, you you will get attention of the the the, the communities, as I said, including the search and rescue and uh, police canines and military. Uh, that they will have now 
much more interest to work together and follow what's going on because it, it really is going to help them. Uh, uh, it, it can work both ways, including not just not even just the um, the genetic pool and the soundness and the temperament selection, but also training the the, yeah. the training exchange between. Like we're going back to being able to train together. Mm-hmm. What about the the old school uh, search of the helper after the call out of the blind? Do do you have that or no? We haven't added that in yet. That may come. Ah, yeah. But we have not added that in yet. I think that was also another. Like I I remember at the time the just justification they had was it just saves time which you you can have a good argument for that but having a dog on a down staying a little bit longer while you're doing something else you're seeing you're seeing how that dog is handling that position knowingly that something's coming up there is a lot to tell there you know there is a whole story you can have there Yes, and it's a time when your dog is laying there and your back is to your dog while you're walking away to do that. You're and not I, making contact. You're not holding your dog with that body language. Yeah. That dog has to have self-control. I, I will encourage you. I will definitely encourage you to bring that back into it's it, it would be like thinking me going just going to, you know, any kind of police a convention or, or workshop or anything, there is three big problems. Out, of course, is number one. Call-off is number two. That's why a lot of departments don't, don't bother unless they have to go through some certification that includes it, but even then, it's just for the certification. And anytime they decide to pat down a decoy, the dog just blows up and goes on his own. These are three very classic uh, uh, problems for for training. So uh, I definitely would be nice to see that back as well. We will take that under advisement because we've been talking about it. (laughs) Yeah, like really like I... I, When I go back and watching some old VHS tapes and, and you see them it's like they, they, yeah, I'm on a down and I'm looking at the fly or I'm at the down and I'm whining. I just cannot contain myself or I flat out just break because it's my opportunity. And, and you, you see the dog and you also see the training. And um, yes, it does take time, but it should. It's a, it's a very good exercise as well. And as far as the, the stick, is it a like the normal padded stick, I'm assuming, right? It is. Okay, good. And Yeah, it is. We have talked back and forth about reed sticks, but we've stuck with the padded stick. Yeah. I, I really think it's... Um, it, it, it's sufficient to test, to, to yeah. twitch a dog enough to where mm-hmm. uh, you definitely uh, have a test going. Um, that's very, very cool. And what about now more of the world global problems, electric colors, prong colors, 
how how is American Schutz going handling that? What is the the position and what is allowed? What is not allowed? We are allowed to use electric collars. We are allowed to use prong collars. Um, and so you can really do how it used to be to where there is a trial day and you can come out of the car with the electric collar, then put it off and then go on the field, correct? Yes. Well, every good. club trial has to have an entrance to their field. So it has to be roped off so there there's like a gate, an imaginary gate that you're going through. And you can have whatever you want on one side of the gate, but as you cross over into the, the actual field, everything has to be off. Yes. Very good. Mm-hmm. What is your kind of stepping off of the the American Schutzkorn for a moment, but since I touched the electric collar and the, the global movement against, how, where, where do you stand and how, if, if you, what do you have to say about any of that? Well, I, I think that's just another sign, let's take a general picture of everything being watered down, right? You can't use an electric collar, you can't use a prong collar, you can't use anything um, that would stress a dog, derogatory towards a dog at all. So people, first of all, there's so many parts of that, right? There's a part of that that people are still in training from 35 years ago when they were using electric collars or that's not the way these things are used today for the most of us that's not everyone of course there's always your exception to the rule but the majority of us are not using collars in that manner we're not using prong collars in that manner that has changed so much over the years right we're so much better than what we were um so the collars and the, the training tools that you're using are used in a very different way that's number one number two when you take tools away from someone that are trying to train a dog, you leave them with barbaric ways to do this. Because if we have dogs on one hand that we want to stress, right, that we want to have stick hits, that we want to have hardness, courage, fighting instinct that lasts throughout the years. If we want to promote those kinds of things, then we do not have dogs that can be trained purely positively. Now, if we take all of those things away, I think we touched on this, and we create dogs that can't stand up to any of this anymore, well, then we, certainly, then we can go all purely positive on everything. But we no longer have those same animals. We have a different animal that we have created over the years. We, in American Schutzen, are trying not to have that happen. We are trying to have those animals continue throughout the years. The reason we got into the sport, the things we love about the sport, are the dogs. And it's those dogs, when everything else is said and done, that we believe have to be sustained. So I think that's, there's, there's just so many facets to that, right? Certainly, if we change the dogs, we will change the tools. And if we change the tools, then those people that are in the purely positive camps can say, see, it could all be done with purely positive training. Right, right. And we don't want dogs that can be done with purely positive training. And that's and, what you're not understanding. And even even if you can, maybe these are certain dogs and certain trainer. And also the like I, I'll go back to what you said because it's important. Um, what like when, when somebody that has 
moved away from using aversive and says, well, I used to be one of these trainers 30 years ago, or I learned 30 years ago. It's like, it's exactly the point. It's 30 years ago. This is a very long time. We, what we do today and what was happening 30 years ago is dramatically different. And, and <clears throat> if anything speeds up the process and brings clarity. And when I say speeds up the process, I know now the force free will be, oh, that's a quick fix. It's like, of course it's a quick fix, but how can you not like a quick fix that actually is permanent? It's not like a quick fix, oh, we got something done right now, but then it breaks down. No, it does not break down. It, it, it works, it, the, the message, and, and, and there is so much clarity there that it helps everything to move on. We, like we are eliminating a big part of frustration from both the handler and the dog yes. to where you, you, you know, like a, you, you end up with positive trainers that are grabbing their collars and just face-to-face screaming to death and or putting them in crates for timeouts. Right, for, for endless timeouts. Right, process takes forever. And the then nine, you have the, like even right now in UK, I, I'm not sure if you know, but they, they actually passed everything. So from the beginning of the year, they, they will, it will be banned with the exception of the military. <laughs> so positive reinforcement works better but the military, if they want to use, they can. Mm-hmm. And, and that's showing you that there is a need. You cannot, like, no matter how much you get pressed and you get pushed, there is, a, there is time when, and the same happened with the, with the Germany. They, they banned the electric collar, but they are allowing prong collar in deployment, which is, again, it's just such a ridiculous ways how to to look for some loophole how still to allow the trainers that need to have reliable training to do their job right and and ultimately to to almost everybody i have talked and i had a a very good podcast with uh, marcus noise which is a, a a igp judge and competitor and police officer it's like i I could care less about the prong collar. I, I would love to have my electric collar back. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, think about this country. Think about the United States of America. If police departments were allowed to put electric collars on their dogs. Right. They, the bite situations that we see on TV right now all the time would not be happening. Right. They would have the ability to call their their dog back. They'd have an insurance policy that their dog carried with that dog at all times. They would be trained properly to begin with, and they would have a means to use it if necessary. But instead of doing that, we go through, well, we all know what we go through. Right. And we see. Um, Because we refuse to look at these things and to educate and to teach the proper way to use them and the benefits of. It would be like saying, let's, let's say we're inventing fire and we're rubbing sticks together and we, get a, we, get, we finally get fire going. 
And now someone comes up with the match that every single time they hit that match, fire lights. And we say, oh, but that was a quick fix. Seriously? Are we going to go back to rubbing sticks? Right. Because now we have another means to create fire. I mean, we can look at every invention throughout time like that. Right. And again, like if, if there is some consistency and you can show that there are better ways, everybody will jump on those better. Like, what, are you kidding me? Like, I, like you, you can do this in a better way than me and I would not ask you what are you doing. Right. Exactly. But with clarity, with speed. Right. And, and with kindness to your dog. I mean, even people that come t to me for help with their dog, let's say they have a German Shepherd or a Malinois or a Rottweiler or any large breed dog, right? And they can't take their dog off leash. So they have a German Shepherd that every time they go out of their home, that dog has to be on a leash, right? That dog has no life. It's a German Shepherd dog. It does not want to be on leash for 12 years. Yeah. It just doesn't, right? If I can give them a means to very quickly teach them with an electric collar how to have their dog come back on a recall, paired with treats and fun and play and very, in our way of thinking, slowly done so that they understand it and can use it. We've just opened up the world for that dog. Yeah. And we've opened it up quickly to where now they have a dog they can go out and play fetch with and play with. And somebody else, and I've been in meetings like this where purely positive people will talk about, well, it's a quick fix, right? We're, we're going to do our 110 lessons with the people, keep coming back and getting their money. And they never teach the dog to come back. Right. That dog never has a life. But here's a tool that we can give you and explain to you and show you how to use it properly and give your dog a life. But no, that's cruel. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind it's, of mind-boggling. It, it, it is. It is. And um, I mean, I, I know you have, you, you, you search for training, any good training everywhere. It's not like a narrow mind that this is the way. We most of good training, like you have to stay open minded. You have to pick things up from from this collective uh, um, training world, global. You know, uh, people. Everybody's spending a lot of time. Everybody's trying, and and some we we evolve and we evolve very fast and. And it will be so quickly if, if somebody can show, hey, there is a better way, but this is the better way. Don't, don't just tell me that there is a better way and don't tell me that science says and, and any of this kind of stuff, but show it, demonstrate, like in a, in a make a workshop, line us up and show us. Mm -hmm. we, we are jumping on the train. If... if there is something, no question. I think this is why, um, it, it, like in all of my, not all, but a lot of my podcasts, I end up talking about this, unfortunately. But it's such a topic that it has to be talked about. We cannot let it be. Uh, um, when, when you have 
science says, and there is better ways, but you cannot demonstrate or you are not willing to demonstrate. Then there is a big question in the validity of what you're saying. How are you, like what, like, uh, because you know, like when you, I know how, not, not all, and I have to make sure that that's clear, not, not all positive trainers are thinking the same way. There is very intelligent trainers that are just choosing to challenge themselves to train that way. And hats off to that. But how they, they think that because we would have electric collar or we would use some form of aversive, we get labeled immediately. Like there is the, the cliche. They are the evidence science-based and we are the punishment-based trainers. It's like, what is a punishment-based trainer? Like you cannot possibly accomplish anything besides making a dog not do things if you're just doing punishment. If you're a punishment-based trainer, this does not exist. And, and that's uh, uh, um, one of their main weapons. It's like in, in any conversation, punishment-based training will be said numerous times and not, not even acknowledging that a, even majority of the positive reinforcement, strictly positive reinforcement training comes from people that do protection sports that use aversive. I cannot be more explicitly saying this, that we understand very, very well positive reinforcement. And we utilize it. I argue with many much better than the force-free community. Much better. Yes, I would agree. We do. But we're the punishment-based people. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very easy, shut the door. It's like no, no room for conversation. It's sad. It's very sad. And this is why my next question to you, have you thought of, because it, it really... The, the American shoots gun would create a lot of interest. Like, I think any collaboration will be, I, I, like the USPCA, the, the United Shoots Gun Police, uh, you know, like any, any of those organizations in the country, I think they have to know about American shoots gun and we have to almost get back to working together. How, you know, how back in the 90s, you would have the, the police also included in the big events. Having the program that you're creating, I believe that now it's even more, uh, um, more, more, more fitting, more interesting for collaboration. And, and have you thought of, uh, or do you already have anything going on as far as like the, the police and, and everybody else? Not yet, not yet, but that is, that's a goal. 
Good. That's where we want to head. We're trying to do so much right now um, with so few people that are you know, at the base that are the workers. Yeah. <laughs> There's only so many things that we can accomplish on our own. We need to have more people get involved because they want to see something like this succeed. Yeah. I, and when I say involved, not just involved in the sport field, but involved, you know, at the core of it, workers. So with, um, um, I know between our first conversation and today, meanwhile, you had Helmut Reiser come and, and you guys had a, some, some like a judges or some some kind of a seminar and then I'm I'm very curious to hear a lot about it like I'm dying to hear how that went it was great um Helma came and did a basically a seminar workshop with our judges so because we wanted to judge along that same criteria that same way he actually came he had just amazing videos tons of videos um explained the way that they judge and what they're looking at, which very much aligned with us. Um, and was like, it was so nice because it's like two two groups, or he, he being himself, but representing his group and yeah. think the way he thinks, coming together with us who have a lot of the same thoughts. So that was, a, that was fantastic. Um, and he was able to convey how they judge, what they look at, which again, fell in line with what we're doing. And then we had the opportunity to judge numerous dogs online. The judges for American Schutzen were able to do that and utilize those sheets. And really over a period of just a couple of days, be able to all come together and, and see things in a very similar way so that their judging was within a few points of each other. So on wow. that level, it was excellent. And then, you know, on a further level to talk about RSD Global uh -huh. and the possibilities of maybe joining forces in the future was fantastic. I mean, our opportunities awesome. are endless to come together with another group or, or number of groups that are all of the same mindset. So we, we're definitely looking to do that. I wonder if... Um You, you know what I'm thinking? It's just so, so insane. Um, like I, I can train my dogs and I can put video with my dog having an electric collar on and doing everything. And I don't think about it. I'm just having fun. My dog is having fun. My dog is not like, you know, right. having those uh, serious negative consequences emotional well-being and all, all this nonsense you know and many not many I, I would think the majority of trainers that do protection sports in Europe they want to hit like they want to make a comment but they will be hunted down if they do yes this I is agree. this is a tragedy where we are right now And so where, where I was going with this is like, I, I, I bet there will be interest. Like a lot of trainers would like to come and put their dog into the trial. But the way the whole system is working in Europe right now, 
you actually, even if you come to the States and you have electric collar or you perform a competition where there is tickets, when you go back home, it will be just as bad as if it happened at your club in Germany or Belgium or whatever. And and I I don't know if they will be ever able to to break that. It's very interesting problem. And we I think the Europeans did not help themselves in many ways, including but you, you would be open, like, I mean, I don't see a problem with anybody wanting to participate to comp- in competitions, right, coming from somewhere else outside the United States. No, not at all. Last year at our nationals, we had um, Pierre come, and he competed from nice. outside the country. Yeah, and so hopefully this year we'll have more. But, you know, in talking with Helmut, too, with his RSV Global, we're looking at the possibilities of joining forces with AS with that. Um, it would give us tremendous access to their infrastructure. We would have a fantastic database, enormous database that we could join. We would have the ability to incorporate their breed tests and their breed programs into ours, which would really expand ours. We would have the ability to register our dogs a different way. So there are a lot of benefits to doing that, um, all the while maintaining our autonomy as AS. So we're kind of in negotiations or talks about doing that, but being able to absolutely maintain our autonomy. But that also would give us the ability, if somebody were an AS member, to go into the RSV 2000 World Championship. So for the first time, there would be a pathway to get there. Wow. So that's something that we don't have in AS. It was something we were not really that interested in ourselves, but we know a lot of people outside of the organization that were looking to come in were interested in that. And this would give them a pathway to that yeah. organization. It's like last year, I think it was, Vit Glisnik won the RSV 2000. Um, Vit, of course, as, as you were just saying, Vit comes from the Czech Republic and just as you were saying before, when I was there training, there were people that come to Vitz from all over, right? Sweden, Austria, Italy, countries in which you're not allowed to use any kind of electric collar, prong collar, no training tools. And what I witnessed was, like you just said, like barbaric almost yeah. training. Because all they have left is their hands to hold their dog up, to stare in their face, to throw them in a crate, to, to use their hands. And I know in the Czech Republic, there's a fight against all of this, too. They, they don't want to hear about not using electric collars. And, and so I was very glad to see Vit um, enter the RSV 2000 championship and win. Yeah. Because he certainly deserves that. And also because he represents what they're trying to do, as well as what we're trying to do by doing that. And I think the more people at that level that stand up and do those things, the better off we're going to be as a community. You know, if we're all so afraid to say anything or do it, that's what got us here. That's why we're here. Right. 
we were we didn't have the gumption to stand up and do anything. That's what I alluded to in the in the first segment was USA had that ability. I mean, USCA could have done something and they did nothing. You know, you mean a like in, in a global level? Or? In the educational level. Mm, at mm. the educational level, right? They're they're a powerful organization with a big membership. Big number. They, big number. Right, they could have done something. They refused to do anything because they wanted to bend the knee to Europe. That's why. Dirk put it best when he put out that message saying If you are a member of that organization, then you have to. That's right. the way it is right now. Right. And they created that. They allowed that to occur. Because with their numbers, they had enough power to say, no, we're not going to do this. They wouldn't do it. They had the power before to educate people. They did not take advantage of that. But there And is so, the danger I, for for them being expelled from the right. world union and and maybe sometimes that's what it needs to happen who knows but let's look at that even right let's look at that the gsdca right is part of the akc or was it whatever they were i sometimes even get confused here now with the wda too when the wda was part of that organization right so you have the arm of schutzen in the akc the akc's breed standard is different from the rest of the world union's breed standard true years true they have been told they have to change their breed standard or they will be not allowed to be a part of the wsb You know what GSDCA said? Sorry, no, we're not changing it. Well, how many years will it take? Don't know. Ten years pass. Are you going to adhere to the rules of the WUSB? No, sorry. They didn't expel them because they're part of AKC, which is large numbers, right. power, money. Yeah, power, USCA. numbers, and money. Exactly right. That's power, numbers, and money. And that's why... We're looking at the RSV. I mean, RSV, they can even send dogs to the FCI championships. They mm -hmm. they won that battle too. It, it's such a difficult, like, the dog world is, is a, you know, there is a lot of stabbing and there is a lot of pulling the rug and which mm -hmm. is humans, you know, that that's what we do, tribes. But somehow, if if we start to at least back up and defend each other to some extent, even when we don't like each other, I think it's very important in today's times that we need the numbers and we need to find a way somehow. And maybe that's not possible. Maybe that's just me my fantasies, but I know that numbers are important. I know even like organizations such as like the uh, IACP, the International Association of Canine Professionals, which is like a pet organizations, but they're the first one in the States that anytime San Francisco says we're going to be shock free or New York or whatever, they, they will step in and we, we have to 
connect and we have to work together with such organizations and the police and the army and the search and rescue and and then we have a more unified front and and reasons like no this is this is important it's not just um it's not just a dog sport that's the whole point really it's not just a dog sport it's it's not easy it isn't but we do know a, a few things and one of those is what you just said numbers matter people coming together matter those things matter education matters is it an easy answer it isn't so where do we go from here where is uh, what what's next coming up for american shotgun where are we headed well as far as what's on the immediate horizon we have our nationals coming in november um we have asked you if you would like to be a guest judge <laughs> um yeah 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 and I I said I I would love to do it if if uh, I mean I I have to sharpen up my skills and and really understand the 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 program um but yeah there's um, where is it going to be It will be in Missouri Okay same place as we held it last year What it takes to for for a um like a a club to become a member or how does it work i'm not sure individual membership is fine right so yes you can be an individual member and you would sign up through the psa website okay you would go to the psa website you would you would follow the prompts and go to the sign up sheet for psa and then you would be a dual member of psa and as mm-hmm. and we're looking for a way going forward to make that clearer so that we know exactly who the AS clubs are and the PSA clubs because right now some are both mm-hmm. um and and as far as a club forming a American Shotgun club what what are the requirements there three members you have to have three members to form a club and and you have mock trial or anything like that how the the other IGP clubs do or or they're immediately accepted as a club or right now if you have three members then you are accepted as a club what you do have to do is within it's just changing now but within the first year you have to have an event yeah um and then after that so you get one year of having just an event and that can be a helper seminar um somebody coming in to talk about dogs whatever it is you choose it to be that's that centers around dogs and then the second year you'd have to have a trial yeah that's reasonable definitely reasonable i mean it's very interesting and then i hope we we creating interest and i don't know i think um i know some people are like well why do we need to split even further apart and divide even more but uh i don't what, look at it as what you're doing is we're apart. really preserving something that is becoming extinct yeah that and we we have no intention of um like or, or no interest in barring people from IGP we would love people from IGP to come in you can do IGP and you can do AS um we look at AS as more of a breed test for german shepherds and other working breeds but you you can do both and we welcome both what is the minimum age like what do you have like to get the to to enter the first levels what do you have age requirements or no 
Yes, there are age requirements and they've changed. What is it, 18 months now, I think. I think it's 18 months, but so there's age requirements, but I, I think most of the time you're seeing dogs, you know, two, two and a half before they're on the field. Right. Um, but they are entering BTs. We've had, like we just got in the books, some trials that are just BTs. So we've had trials that are like 20 BTs. So just because it's their first year, they're yeah. entering, they have people that are going through that first step. What kind of breeds you kind of what is predominantly right now that you have as far as breeds? We're seeing a lot of Dobermans, of course, Malinois, German Shepherds, and a couple of Rottweilers. And there's other breeds that have gone through the BT um, as well. But those are the breeds that you're seeing, you know, actually competing in the trials. What is a membership? What do you have for membership? Uh, what is the dues? The dues right now are um, 75, but we're thinking about restructuring that a little bit too but that's what it is right now 75 as a as a individual membership right yes mm -hmm. again if we you know look forward and and do something with um rsv global that might restructure itself a little bit because of the you know the availability to the enormous database we'll have I'm very glad to hear that, that uh, there, is, there is conversation, at least. There right. is conversation and interest, and, and that's perfect beginning. Right, that's step you know? one. I know another thing that you just mentioned that I always think about, um, because you were talking, you know, science-based, science-based. Right. And, and he, I mean, that goes back to even just general training, right? Because... I get so many questions from people on like how do they go about becoming someone who can get on a regional level or a national level or or you know get their dogs farther along and I always look at it and, and say just that is that you know there's so much training that is science based let's let's face it you have a, a portion of everything we do that's science based but then the other half of our sport is the art of our sport. And the art of our sport comes into play when you talk about things like we talked about the last time. What's your preparation for an international event? Well, the first thing you have to do, as you alluded to then, is you have to know your dog. So this is a process that you go through when you start a dog, whatever age it is, and, and you continue on with that dog. You and that dog become a team. That dog starts to understand you and what you want. You start to understand that dog and what that dog needs and wants. And then those two things come together. And then you progress to the next step of saying, okay, people will ask me things like, well, how long do I heal this way before I change this? I, I don't have an answer for you for that. That's the art of this sport. There is the things that I can tell you that is the science of this sport. And then there's the art of the sport. And it's those things that are related to the art that makes you either an okay trainer, a really good trainer, a great trainer, someone that can compete on an international level. It's the art. Yeah. It's knowing your dog. It's knowing when to push. It's knowing when to pull back. It's knowing how far you can push, right? It's knowing when to do that. It's knowing what to do in a build-up to a trial, what not to do in a build-up to a trial. What are you going to do with that dog before you enter the field? All of those things 
most of that is not based on science. Yeah, that's the, to me, and I'm sure for most of us, that's the, the addicting part. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's it's what the, makes the, you stay in it, you, what you, makes it, you love it's it. 3 a.m. and you're like waking up and it's like, I need to go and try this tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Or why didn't that work? Wait, let me think. Yeah, exactly. How about, um, um, like, I, I've had conversations lately, and, and how, how do you see the difference between protection sports and, let's say, agility or fly ball or, you know, because there, there are different sports. To me, they're, I, I cannot say that they're easy. But there is some differences. What, what, how do you see them comparing uh, um, protection sports to any other dog sports that are very popular? And in fact, probably more popular simply because uh, um, many more people with different types of dogs can participate and, and so on. But uh, uh, as far as like training and, and just everything... How, how, what, what, what comes to mind? I, I think in most protection sports, you're, you're not just dealing with one phase. You're dealing with multiple phases. So it's not like taking, let's say, a retriever in which the entire sport is based on obedience, right? The dog is born. The dog is tested as to see is what that dog is capable of doing. And then it is obedience that's going to make or break that dog, period, throughout the whole thing. You can look at other sports, agility. Again, it's kind of one faceted. That's why so many dogs can do it. Yeah, one faceted is a very good word, yeah. Where protection sports is not one faceted. You can have a dog that excels in obedience but cannot do the protection end of it at all. You can have a dog that goes out there, which is always amazing to me. It could have a perfect grip, but has no courage, hardness, and fighting instinct, right? You can have a dog, like I said before, that can show great tracking ability, but has no hunt drive or very little. So you're taking dogs that are so multifaceted and you're trying to have everything come together on all of these different levels. So you're trying, and when you go to competition, if you're tracking, if you're doing scent detection, if you're doing article searches, whatever you're doing is that phase, you've got to have that at the top level. You've got to go to the next thing, which is the obedience phase, and you have to have that at the top level. Now you've got to go to protection, and you've got to have that at the top level, right? Obedience means how does a dog relate to you? How does it listen? What is the pack drive? Protection means have the courage, hardness, fighting instinct to ignore me and stand out there and fight on your own. And not you know, to turn protection search. into not to turn not to turn protection into a, a, a frisbee competition, but actual, you know. Uh, Drive changes. Yeah. Drive we want changes. to see drive changes in our dog, right? In right. protection, in the protection phase. That's what we want to see. And that's what we go for. If we don't see those, you and I are not happy. Right. <laughs> so 
I think you're looking at a dog and a handler that has to be very multifaceted. Enhance one without breaking another. And that, yeah, I was just going to say, like, you can, you can put too many eggs in one basket or mm-hmm. line them up in the wrong way to where the other phases you sacrifice and, right. and, and you have to make sure that that balance of everything moving forward remains. And very, very interesting. Anything else uh, to tell uh, the listeners? Anything kind of for for how to join? How to any any advice? Any ideas? Invitations? Well, um, basically, if anyone's looking to join and they're at all confused, they can go to our liaison, who is Kim Bat. You can find her online. Um, and she will answer any of your questions. It's another thing that we've really worked very, very hard at, to have somebody who can connect with you, who can talk to you, who can help you through the first steps. Um, So we have a human being that that will answer your questions and help you get started. Debbie, I think uh, that was, we had to do that part too. (laughs) That was like we really left it out in the air like a lot a lot had to be said and talked over and uh i think uh think we accomplished that and um one thing and i'm sure you're planning on it but i have to still suggest that today's age like whenever the national is for example to have good promotion and and have it uh, uh, streamed so people can watch and 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 I'm sure uh, um, I'm sure many trainers in Europe will be very interested to see what where it's going. Uh, so hopefully you're already planning on. I don't know if we work with working dog probably and and but definitely we have to stream these events. Uh, mm-hmm. That yes, and again, if we go through, if, if our connection with Helmet goes through and, and the RSV Global becomes something that's actually happening, we'll have Keneva involved. Um, we're already hooked up with Working Dog at a level of, of starting to register our dogs there. So these things are all starting to come together. Um, but we will have the event streamed. Um, and people... So what we're trying to do right now is, as, as I said, Pierre came last year and entered our protection tournament at our nationals. This year, we've upped it just a little bit. You have to have an AS1 before you can enter the protection tournament, but there'll be a trial available the week before for people to enter if they want to get their AS1 somewhere so that they'll be able to attain an AS1 and then enter the protection tournament if they want to do that. I think that's a good good place to to end and um, I, I really wish you strength and, and energy because it's, it's important. That's what I need. It's important. It's <laughs> the energy, like, Ivan. <laughs> that there, is, there is so, so many breaks that comes from everywhere and you just have to continue to bulldoze through and uh, 
right. you have that experience. So mm-hmm. anybody that wants to help, I'm sure you would appreciate any help. Um, yes. So gladly. And I thank you for giving us this opportunity to put that out. Yeah. For the interview. Great. So we will. I think we will be seeing each other soon. <laughs> Good. The sooner the better, Ivan. All right, David. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.